Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Detola. Let me tell you just a little bit about Bruxer and why it even exists. Well, what is Bruxer? That's a good place to start. Bruxer is a 100% zirconia crown. So unlike most zirconia-based crowns where the zirconia makes up the substructure, the coping, and then we put porcelain on the outside of it, Bruxer is 100% zirconia from all the way to where it touches the prep all the way out to the occlusal surface. Now, why would we do this? Why would we go with this monolithic concept of a total zirconia crown? Well, one of the big reasons is when you take porcelain and you put it on something, whether it be a metal substructure or a zirconia substructure, when you put those two layers together, there's always the possibility that those two layers are going to come apart. Uh, the best case scenario for that is just some chipping on the porcelain that you might be able to polish unless it's an anterior tooth, uh, or the porcelain can break off all the way exposing the zirconia substructure or the metal substructure. So one of the big benefits of having a monolithic restoration is the fact that nothing can chip off of it because it's all made out of one homogeneous material and we don't have two materials that are fused together. Another reason why a Bruxer monolithic zirconia crown is such a good idea is because we see a lot of cases here in the laboratory where dentists have had to underprepare or underprepared for any number of reasons. And in those cases, we have very few choices. In fact, the choices typically come down to you can do a cast gold crown there, you can do a PFM crown with a metal occlusal there, or you can uh, adjust the opposing until this PFM fits between it. Now, all three of those options aren't necessarily attractive to the patient. Patients don't really enjoy having their opposing teeth ground down to make room for the new crown. And more and more patients are objecting to cast gold crowns, which I don't happen to agree with, but this is the patient's choice, not mine. And patients aren't real big on a PFM crown that's got a big metal occlusal as well. So with a Bruxer homogeneous 100% zirconia-based restoration, now we have the ability to have something that we can use in those areas of limited interclusal reduction that is still tooth colored. Let's take a closer look at those three options I just talked about and talk about what the patient might like better. One option for a crown prep where we have limited interclusal space is to use a metal occlusal PFM as you see here. And it's an okay solution, you know, there's really nothing wrong with it from a functional standpoint, but patients aren't real thrilled when they see it. In fact, I remember early in my career having a woman question, you know, the $750 she'd spent on a porcelain crown and why was it half metal, you know, on half the top and half the inside, and she could see it with a mirror on the lingual. So that's a solution, but it's not necessarily one where the patient's going to go, oh, great idea, doc, I'm glad it looks like that. Another solution is certainly to go with a cast gold crown, and there's really nothing bad that you can say about a cast gold crown. Gold is the longest lasting restoration that I've ever seen in the mouth. It won't break, it wears, it doesn't wear the opposing teeth. Everything that you can say about it is really nice, except for the fact that depending on where it is in the mouth, it can be seen from about uh, 30 feet away. And there are just patients uh, who simply refuse to have cast gold uh, in their mouth. There are patients who still like cast gold, and most of them are dentists or work for dentists, but uh, a lot of patients that, uh, that I talk to simply don't want to have cast gold in their mouth. Therefore, we've got a situation where uh, because we had a short clinical crown, maybe on a lower second molar or something like that, we have a very short prep, we couldn't reduce anymore, we've got some limited interocclusal space, and we need to place a crown back there. So these two choices aren't uh, seen as aesthetically favorable for the, for the patient. Well, enter Bruxer. Let's take a look at how Bruxer fits into all of this. 
and again, this is a 100% zirconia-based crown. So there's no porcelain on this crown. It's entirely uh, zirconia. So the same type of zirconia substructure that you'd find on a lava crown or a Procera zirconia crown or a CZ clinical zirconia crown, this substructure now makes up the entire crown from the inside all the way to the outside. So there's no porcelain to break off of here as long as we don't go any thinner than half a millimeter. But really, no material does well at under half a millimeter. I mean, you can make cast gold that thin, but you're going to end up chewing a hole through it. This crown is virtually unbreakable, and that's how we talk about Bruxer, because it doesn't have any porcelain uh, that can chip off of there. Uh, and by the same token, it's a very robust material, as you'll see when you try to take off your first zirconia-based restoration. It's very difficult to cut through, and you'll see that this is a, a strong, strong crown. Now. If you look at this, it doesn't necessarily look exactly like a tooth. And I'll show you some pictures in just a second of some Bruxer crowns in the mouth. But that's not the point. This crown was not designed to be an aesthetic crown. It was designed to be more aesthetic than cast gold and more aesthetic than a metal occlusal. And uh, if you had a study model with these three crowns on it and told your patient they could have their choice of the three of these, what do you think are the chances that they're going to take this crown, even if it doesn't match maybe the first molar in front of it perfectly. This one might match a little bit better in terms of the porcelain, but half of its metal and the cast gold won't uh, match at all. And so that's one of the, the big deals. Really, Bruxer, uh, its primary indication in my mind is when you want to place cast gold in a patient's mouth and the patient simply won't accept it. Bruxer is a, a fantastic restoration in cases like that. Let's go ahead and take a closer look at how Bruxer looks in the mouth. On this case, we're going to restore a tooth that has a large amalgam, tooth number 29 with a Bruxer solid zirconia crown. And you can see that uh, the tooth behind it, tooth number 30, actually has a cast gold crown on it. When the patient originally broke that tooth and the one across from it, the dentist wanted to place cast gold on both those teeth because he was afraid that the patient would break a uh, porcelain restoration. But when we mentioned cast gold one tooth forward, the patient did not want to do that. So a perfect case for Bruxer. We're using our Vita Easy Shade Compact to take the shade here. And uh, it's giving me a reading of an A3. And we'll go ahead and take another reading in the middle third of the tooth. And it's telling me that that is an A2. And so we've got the base shades now for the tooth. And we're ready to uh, be able to anesthetize that tooth. We're going to use the... Rapid anesthesia technique with the STA unit from Milestone Scientific. There's the PFG gel from Stevens Pharmacy being placed in the sulcus of tooth number 29 with an ultradent syringe. And then the STA small extra short 30 gauge needle tip goes right into the sulcus. And we will achieve pulpal anesthesia on this tooth in about 90 seconds. And that's going to be our only injection is this sulcular injection. And that's why it's called the rapid anesthesia technique because within about 90 seconds, when we've given about half the carpule of septicane, I can set that down and immediately pick up the handpiece and start prepping. So it's rapid and it's efficient. This is the first step in the reverse preparation technique. We're going to break the contact. So it's a 56 burr carbide burr that we're using to go through the contacts and just create some space. So the goal of the first step of the prep technique is just to gain a little space in between the teeth so we can place our first cord. The cord, as you'll see, will retract the tissue for us and help us uh, show us where we're going to put our initial uh, margin placement. And it's also going to protect the tissue 
at the same time from the rest of the preparation technique so that we don't nick the tissue at all. You can see we just kind of floss the first cord or the bottom cord into place. This is a size double zero cord, the Ultra Pack cord from Ultradent, and it's a braided hollow cord. So you can see it goes into place relatively easy. You don't have to put too much effort to get this bottom cord down into place because it just kind of collapses into the base of the sulcus. And now this is kind of the key part of the reverse preparation technique, and that is to prep the gingival margin first. That's an 801-021 burr from the reverse preparation technique kit. And you can see we've placed a half circle at the level of the gingiva on the facial and on the lingual as well. So this is going to guarantee an almost perfect margin formation and enough reduction in the cervical third on both sides. And the next step is to place some depth cuts. This is a two millimeter depth cutter. And you can see I just went in the central groove right through that uh, amalgam. You can see it's self-limiting. Watch it as it goes down and then boom, it bottoms out. So it can't go any farther than two millimeters. You could stand on the handpiece and it won't go any deeper than two millimeters. It bottoms out and it won't go any further. This allows you to lean on it and really kind of press hard on it. And so you can do these depth cuts quickly without fear of going too deep. Here's a 1.5 millimeter depth cut being placed in the axial surface. We don't need to place one in the cervical third because with that round burr, we already have essentially a 1.2 millimeter depth cut. So now that we've got all the depth cuts in place uh, around the tooth, it's pretty much just a race to see how quickly we can get the enamel off and get down to the base of those depth cuts. That's an 856.025 tapered burr, my favorite burr. It's certainly the workhorse of this technique. And really in all the preparation that I do, I love large burrs with large um, surface areas so that they don't drop down into the tooth or fall down into the tooth. The only problem with them is you can't always fit them in approximately if you're not prepping the adjacent teeth. So we'll go with an 856.016 when it comes time to do some reduction interproximally on the mesial and the distal. So you can see with the 856025, we're simply prepping two structure away till we no longer see the base of those holes. And I can tell you that working in a dental laboratory, the one complaint that I hear from technicians is consistently, why don't dentists reduce more? And part of it is we're trying to be conservative. You know, uh, part of it is we just lose a reference point. You know, once we start to prepare the tooth, we're no longer able to see a reference mark of how far we've actually prepared, which is why I love the reverse prep technique because it's got some depth cuts in it so we always know where we are. This is why I love electric hand pieces. I've got it turned down to 6,000 revolutions and I've got the water turned off as well so I can see exactly what I'm doing as I go around and finish that margin. Once I finish the margin and smooth everything up, it's time for the top cord. This is a size two cord. This is the 2E Ultra Pack cord from Ultradent. And obviously it's bigger than the double zero cord, so it's a little more difficult to get into place. And this is the cord that is gonna create the space for the impression material. So once we put uh, the cord into place, it's gonna sit for a good eight to 10 minutes to give us some retraction. I noticed that I had nicked the gold crown on the tooth behind it, so this is a perfect time to go in and polish that with some brownies and some greenies before we take the impression. The copper cap goes into place over that top cord, over that number two cord, and the patient bites down on it, keeps it isolated for eight to 10 minutes. And look at that sulcus. In fact, you can see all the way down there. In fact, you can see the double zero cord at the bottom of that sulcus. And that's exactly the kind of retraction that we wanna see. And that's why it's important to wait for eight to 10 minutes when you do that. You don't put that top cord in and 
be, decide you're in a hurry and pull it out 60 seconds later. You need to get enough retraction to have time for the 20 seconds that it takes to squirt the syringe material in onto the prepared tooth and the adjacent teeth. And then my assistant hands me the loaded tray, the quad tray extreme from Clinician's Choice, my double arch tray of choice. And you can see the nice result that we get there. Little scrap of that bottom impression cord uh, sitting on the impression. We can just pull that right off. We placed the temporary and now it's been uh, about seven days and the patient's back again. And we're going to wiggle off this temporary with a pair of curved hemostats and see what we have underneath. Everything looks pretty clean. Little debris there on the uh, distal that we can go in and, and wash off and uh, go ahead and see whether or not we're going to um, have to do many adjustments on this Bruxer crown. Because it's a CAD CAM crown and the contacts are, are dialed in uh, and the occlusions dialed in, we typically don't have to do much adjustment if we make a temporary, if we make a provisional crown that has good interproximal contacts and has a good occlusal stop on it. It's very easy for our dental assistants, or even for us, to polish away those proximal contacts on the temporary or polish away uh, a spot of centric occlusion on the temporary and have uh, the tooth move around during the two weeks while we're waiting to get the crown back. And if that happens, all these CAD CAM parameters that have been programmed in for us are really for naught because the tooth, in fact, has moved during those two weeks. Because it's a high-strength Bruxer solid zirconia crown, we've cemented this with three MSBs, Reliax, Luding Cement Plus, uh, could you bond this into place? Sure, you could bond this into place, but we had a prep that had plenty uh, of retention, uh, enough length on it, and uh, we don't need to worry about this crown coming off. So I'm always going to go with conventional cementation because I know the Reliax Looting Cement Plus has almost zero post-operative sensitivity. So easy to use, so easy to clean up. Just a straightforward, fantastic crown and bridge cement. Um, had it been a very short preparation or over-tapered, uh, you could use the self-etching resin cement like Maxim Elite. And even on the horizon, it looks like we might have some bonding agents, which will help these resin cements actually bond to the zirconia itself on the inside of the Bruxer, since it's a solid zirconia crown. Putting the articulation paper in, having the patient bite together, we see we've got some nice uh, areas of contact on the cusp tips, and we can see that the unprepared teeth, the cuspid, and the lateral have marks on them as well. In fact, I can see marks right by the wear facet on that lateral. And so there it is. That's a solid zirconia crown on tooth number 29. There's no porcelain on that whatsoever. I've always wanted to have a material that was a cast gold in about a shade A2. And that's not what Bruxer is, but we're getting pretty close. If you look at that uh, from the outside, that looks a lot like tooth number 28. Doesn't have as much, you know, surface texture on it, but um, certainly blends in very well. And if we look at it from the occlusal, it definitely looks better than an amalgam. And if you show this picture to 100 of your patients, they will say it looks better than the cast gold as well. So nice looking restoration, that Bruxer solid zirconia restoration, the crown on tooth number 29. On this first case, we've got a great indication for a Bruxer crown. In fact, it was some of these early cases that actually helped us come up with the name. Bruxer, you can see this patient has broken uh, the PFM that was in place in several places. I mean, there's hardly any porcelain left on that crown. You'll notice the dentist placed cast gold on the one behind it because uh, 
they were afraid of that same breakage taking place with a PFM on the second molar, but the patient wanted to go with a PFM on the first molar and not have gold. So when he broke this one, it was the same kind of conversation uh, that I would usually have about gold being the best, but today we had another option. And as you can see here, here's the Bruxer crown in place next to the cast gold. Now it's kind of bright. This is one of the earlier Bruxer cases and we've gotten better at shading these over time. But you can see that it stands out a little bit, but does it stand out any more than the cast gold crown does? And furthermore, that's the hardest view to really get good is how these teeth look from the occlusal. And really what you see more than that, if you're gonna see anything, now granted this is a lower molar, so you're not gonna see much of it. But when you view it from the buckle view is probably what somebody would see when the patient maybe happened to smile really big. And you can see in this case that the Bruxer crown blends in reasonably well with the adjacent teeth. You can see the, the gold crown behind it stands out a lot more. And even the PFM across from it uh, does not blend perfectly with the adjacent teeth. So it's a, a very acceptable crown, at least in the, the mind of the patient. It's certainly preferable to having a cast gold crown on that same tooth. This second case is the same type of story. This is the patient who had an existing PFM crown. This one actually had some recurrent decay around the margin. Uh, on the lingual and you can see some porcelain had chipped off the mesial marginal ridge. So anytime I see broken porcelain now, the first thing I'm thinking of is Bruxer. Uh, and you can tell it's a really bright PFM. Uh, part of that's the flash. But if we look at the buckle view of this crown, you can see the tooth over here. You can see a metal margin. That's obviously something you don't have to worry about with the Bruxer. And it blends reasonably well uh, with the adjacent teeth. There's a PFM across from it too that blends reasonably well with the teeth. Uh, uh, across from it as well, but we actually made three crowns for this patient to give the patient uh, a, a choice as to which one they like better. And so you can see the first one that we have in here is the crown with the metal occlusal. So we tried that into the patient's mouth. All three of the crowns fit exactly the same. We took a photograph and showed it to the patient. And you can see that doesn't really blend in. I guess the metal occlusal blends in a little bit with the amalgam behind it, but um, you know, at least from with the patient yawning or something, it doesn't look to blend in. The second choice is the cast gold crown that we have here. And again, cast gold is still my favorite material in dentistry. Unfortunately, patients just don't rank it that high. And the third view that we have is the Bruxer crown in place. And again, it's a little bit lighter than the adjacent teeth and doesn't quite blend in with the natural dentition. But as you can see on the split screen showing all three of them, it certainly blends in more than either of the two other choices. And when we show it uh, from the buckle view, you can see that this crown blends in reasonably well with those. In fact, the PFM that we saw before uh, that doesn't blend in all that well that opposes it, I would say the Bruxer crown actually blends in a little bit better. And as the shades have gotten better uh, on the Bruxer crown, we have seen them disappear more into the natural dentition. And a Bruxer crown at this dimension, um, I have complete faith that uh, this crown will not fracture and will last as long as the same uh, cast gold crown would last. Adjusting Bruxer restorations is definitely different than anything we've done in dentistry before. Most of the time in the past, we've either been adjusting porcelain on a PFM restoration, or we've been adjusting the porcelain on an all ceramic restoration. Bruxer is different, of course, because it's a solid zirconia restoration that has no porcelain on it. So we're going to need different burrs and different polishing wheels to be able to adjust and polish it effectively. And we'll take a look at those later. 
Also, there's going to come a time where you're going to have to cut off a Bruxer crown or a zirconia-based restoration. And if you don't have the correct burr in your office, it's going to be very, very difficult. And what you're going to find is you'll be able to cut through the porcelain on the outside of the restoration. And when you get to the zirconia-based coping, whatever burr you're trying to use is just going to spin on the coping and polish it and heat it up and not cut through it at all. The good news is that the same burrs that you're going to find in the Bruxer Adjustment and Polishing Kit are the same burrs that you use to cut through zirconia. So if you have this Bruxer kit, you're going to have the burrs that you need when eventually you have to cut one of these crowns off. Another question I get from Dennis a lot is, what's the wear rate on opposing teeth from Bruxer crowns? And that's a great question. We're in the middle of a study right now at a major U.S. university, and we're about 100,000 cycles through it on a chewing simulator. And so far, after those 100,000 cycles, I'm happy to say that the wear rate on the opposing teeth from the Bruxer crowns is roughly the same uh, as that of lithium disilicate, or Emax crowns, and so we're cautiously optimistic about this. I think you're going to see as we polish some Bruxer restorations that uh, you're going to understand why it probably doesn't have a, a, a large wear rate on opposing teeth. And that's because when it comes to wearing opposing teeth, it's got more to do with how rough the surface is rather than how hard the surface is. And one of the things that's been a little counterintuitive that I've learned from Bruxer is that zirconia material is actually easier to polish than feldspathic porcelain. Let's take a closer look at what we need to do to adjust and polish Bruxer restorations. So here is the Bruxer uh, adjusting and polishing kit. Let me take it out of the box here. First thing you'll see is it comes with a little set of um, directions. And um, for reorder, it shows you all the different tips that are in here. I tried to keep it as simple as possible. I apologize for having my face there. And then it just shows you some common usages of the different shapes, and you'll see that as well. It's also got the prep kit, the reverse um, prep kit, if you've seen the way that I like to prep Crown & Bridge. We've got that DVD available on our website where it explains why I like to use that prep technique to get consistent reduction and consistent aesthetic results. Here's the kit itself. And you'll notice I've done my best to to keep it simple as possible, there's just a, a couple of different shapes on here. We've got three different shapes of diamonds, and we've got three different polishers. So the first thing to notice is the diamond itself. It's a blue striped diamond. You know, you'll, you'll see other uh, grits of diamond that have different colored color stripes on them. For example, turbo or super coarse diamonds have black. Uh, the green diamonds are the medium grit. The red diamonds are a super fine grit. You'll see the white grit as well. And this is a blue stripe, and it's a different grit. It's a proprietary grit. I can't even tell you what the grit is. Axis actually won't tell anybody what it is because it's a diamond that uh, only they make, and it's particularly good for cutting through zirconia. You know, the first couple times I tried to cut through zirconia, I went for a very coarse burr. I went for a burr that had huge diamond particles, like I'd used to prep a tooth, and it did nothing to it. So it was very counterintuitive that you would need a burr that had much more of a fine grit as this one does to be able to go in and cut through this zirconia. So you're not looking for something that's really coarse. You're looking for something that is more fine like these blue stripe diamonds. You'll notice on the kit that we have three shapes of diamonds. I don't, I don't like kits that come with six or seven different shapes of diamonds. I just don't need that many shapes typically, especially for something like adjusting and polishing. So the football shaped diamond is the main one that I use for making occlusal adjustments on posterior teeth. 
Bruxner is predominantly a posterior product right now. I mean, there might come a day where it looks good enough that it becomes a choice for anterior restorations, but right now it's mainly a, a posterior restoration. So for occlusal adjustments, I love a convex burr like this football burr for the occlusal surfaces. It's got a little sharper point than most of the prepping footballs that I use. It really helps you to kind of put that point into the central groove or a groove uh, next to where you're adjusting and accentuate the anatomy at the same time. The second shape is a tapered diamond. This is going to be used for mesial and distal contacts, anytime we need to make an adjustment to the contacts. So any kind of proximal surface or even a buccal or lingual surface, we're going to be using uh, this tapered burr. And the last shape is the round burr. If you were to maybe do one uh, on an anterior tooth, this could uh, be good for the lingual surface of the anterior tooth, although the football burr could work well for that too. But really it's in here for just kind of hard to reach areas on the occlusal surface where maybe the football burr is going to be a little too big. And it's there because I know there's probably going to come a time one day where you need to do an endodontic access through either a Bruxer crown or another zirconia-based crown. And when it does come time to make that endo access, these round burrs work really well for kind of penetrating through the zirconia, getting down uh, into the dentin before you widen that uh, hole in the zirconia and make it a little bit bigger. Uh, because of the wide surface area and the round shape of that diamond, it does a good job cutting through the zirconia. Uh, when you're cutting off crowns, if you use a burr like this tapered burr, you have to try to do most of the cutting with the shank, the top part of the shank of the diamond where it's thickest. The diamonds get stripped pretty quickly off the tip of that uh, diamond, that tapered diamond, and even the, the tip of the football if you're using it to cut through the zirconia to remove the crown. So just three diamond shapes, basically football for the occlusal, a tapered diamond for the proximal surfaces, for surfaces and then a round diamond uh, for doing uh, an endodontic access if necessary. As with most uh, ceramic polishing system, there's actually th a three grit system on the Bruxer adjustment and polishing kit. There's the, uh, the green pre-polishing cup, the blue polishing cup, and the yellow high shine cup, and they're used in that order. So it's hard to tell just by looking at it, but there are three different grits of the diamond particles that are embedded in these, in these silicone cups. Uh, you, there was also a choice of doing uh, points uh, instead of the cups, but uh, I'm a cup guy, and I'm a cup guy because these cups last so long. And they'll get almost anywhere. You can get the occlusal surface, you can get the lingual, you can get uh, any kind of axial surface or interproximally. And I hate when silicone points come in a kit, and by the time you use it two or three times, they've just disintegrated you know, down to the shank. And so I really like these cup shapes because they last a long time. And I, I hate getting a kit and then having it disintegrate in front of my eyes after I used it two or three times. So we've just got three diamonds and then three grits to polish it with. So let's go ahead and take a closer look at what this looks like on some Bruxer crowns. I would probably be remiss if I didn't mention my affinity for this handpiece. I, I love electric handpieces. I, I get that they're bigger and they're a little heavier and some dentists may have uh, musculoskeletal problems that don't allow them to hold a heavy handpiece like this throughout the day. But the torque on this Cavo electric torque is unbelievable. And um, the two things that I really love about electric handpieces are, are the ability to turn the speed down and run it without water and still have an incredible amount of torque for when it comes to finishing a crown. And beyond that, when it comes to polishing restorations in the mouth, because of the fact that we have so much torque in this handpiece, I finally feel like I can effectively polish restorations in the mouth as opposed to an air-driven handpiece where there just wasn't enough torque to keep the polishing tip spinning all the time. So, 
you know, we hate to have to make adjustments in the mouth, but oftentimes we will cement a restoration. The bite is a little bit high. We need to make a small adjustment. I love an electric handpiece for being able to uh, polish that afterwards and get it back to a high shine. That's what we do in the laboratory. We don't typically reglaze restorations and run them back up in the oven again. We use electric lab hand pieces with polishing cups in there to be able to put that high shine back on it before we send it back to you. So here is a Bruxer crown, and I'm doing this out of the mouth just because there's no way we could, we could get this close or get this angle on this in the mouth if we had a, a molar in the mouth. Um, maybe with an anterior tooth we could, but as I mentioned before, uh, as of today, Bruxer is not a big anterior restoration. In fact, we don't really make any of I them. Mean, it's just for the posterior because of its strength. It certainly doesn't look as good as in your typical all ceramic crown. But this is a decent looking crown anyway. You can see I've got the football bird. This is that blue grit bird that's in there. And so I'm going to go in and lay into this tooth. You'll notice even with this correct fine grit diamond, you'll see some sparking as we go in and touch the zirconia. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the fact that the water's not on. This is, you know, you'd like to always cut with the water on. Obviously, this would be an incredible mess if I sat and cut this without the water on. And sometimes even a patient's mouth, uh, we've got a lot of water spray. Um, we don't want to rinse off the marks on the tooth, and so we've got the water spray turned off. So I'm just using as light of a touch as I can here as I go in and do that. I can tell the diamonds aren't being stripped off the burr just by looking at the burr itself. Of course, basically I'm wiping out an entire cusp at the same time. I'm hoping you don't have to do this much adjustment on your average Bruxer crown. One solution to the sparking is to keep the water on. Obviously, if I had the water on here, I'd be making an incredible mess. Another one in the case of an electric handpiece like I'm using is, is to turn down the RPM. So I've got the RPMs turned down from down to about 10,000 RPMs here. You'll notice when I lean into the crown, it, you know, I'm cutting into it and I'm not even slowing down the burr at all. In fact, I could probably just really lean into this and cut right through this crown into my finger. The point being that you can turn down the speed on an electric handpiece so that you're not overheating the zirconia and not run water. And by the same token, I can't slow this down at all because it's got so much torque. This is what I love about electric handpieces. I love this kind of torque. And when I'm prepping teeth, this is exactly what I do. Turn the speed down, the water off, and then just go along and smooth the margin just like this. With the water turned off, you can finally see what you're prepping at the margin. With the water on, it's, it's an aqueous mess, and I have a hard time seeing what's going on. So you can see the scratch marks that I've made on that Bruxer crown, basically wiping out that cuss for the sake of uh, showing you how this kit works. You know, it's a pretty good close-up that we have there, and you can see that the marks where you can, you know, you can definitely see where I went in there and took away the zirconia material but the marks are not as deep as with the diamonds that I would typically use to adjust uh, regular PFM crowns and all ceramic crowns in the past. And that's one of the reasons why I've switched to these blue stripe diamonds for all my uh, porcelain recontouring and polishing and reshaping because they really don't leave super deep scratches that are hard to get rid of. So we'll start the polishing sequence with the first wheel, with the green wheel. We call this a pre-polish wheel. It's before the polish, and mainly what we want to use this for is to get rid of most of the scratches that are there. The fine scratches we'll get rid of with the next wheel, but we just want to do any minor recontouring here at the same time that we may want to do. Out of the three cups, this is the one that will remove, you know, a little bit of zirconia material. 
you'll see that it actually does get better looking as we go through the three, but it looks much better after the first polish wheel than typical porcelain does. And that's one of the reasons why I think we're going to see that the wear rate on opposing teeth for zirconia crowns like the Bruxer crown is pretty good because it's so easy to make it nice and smooth compared to feldspathic porcelain. So let's move on to the next cup. So now that we're finished with the pre-polished cup, this is the blue polished cup. So we'll go ahead and use this on our Bruxer restoration. So that is the adjusted area on our Bruxer crown after the polish wheel. And you can see just, you know, really a, almost a mirror-like surface there. Maybe just the slightest hint of scratches there, maybe not. And that's what I mean. Again, that looks far ahead of where the, a typical feldspathic porcelain PFM would look at this point after two wheels. So we'll go ahead and use the yellow high shine wheel here. This is the finest grit of the three. And there it is after the yellow high shine wheel. And you can see we've got quite the surface. It really looks like uh, frozen ice almost. Very slick, very smooth. No scratches, you see the peak of the little cuss tip that's kind of in between there still, dividing that into two. Slightly different shade on the occlusal now on that one cusp than the surrounding cusps because I cut so deeply into it and got rid of the stain. But you can see that, that's pretty easy to polish. In fact, I consider this easier to polish now than typical porcelain. And so when I put Bruxer restorations in and I have to make an adjustment, because I've got the Bruxer adjustment and polishing kit, with the fine grit diamonds and the three grits of these wheels, especially with my electric hand piece, there's no doubt in my mind that I'm gonna get a nice, smooth finish back on these crown and the patient's gonna be able to chew on this for years to come without any excessive wear on the opposing tooth. Now let's go ahead and take a look clinically at a Bruxer crown being removed. One of the most common questions I get about Bruxer is how difficult is it to cut off? And uh, as long as you have the right burr, it's really not difficult at all. And so I'm going to cut this uh, Bruxer crown off that you see right here. This is a Zircut diamond from Axis Dental. It's a very fine grit diamond, which is a little counterintuitive. You would think you need something really coarse to cut through something really tough like zirconia. But that's not true. You need a fine grit. And you can see I'm just, I lay it against the tooth and then pull it away. Lay it against the tooth and pull it away. Lay it against the tooth, pull it away. Got a lot of water spray going on here. And there's the tooth. You can see the tooth starting to show through. The difference in color between the zirconia and the prep makes it really easy to know when you've cut uh, far enough. So in that respect, it's kind of like cutting off a typical PFM crown. It's not that difficult to see. The shape of the burr here is not that important. I'm using uh, a burr here with a wider tip because it's a super gingival margin. I go to a tapered, narrow tip burr when I'm really close to the gingiva. And now that I've gone all the way through the buckle and the occlusal, I'm going to take my uh, Christensen crown remover and actually go inside of here. That slot's a little wider than I'd want it to be from that wide diamond, but the wide diamond was more efficient. And boy, you can see I'm really having a crank there and that distal half comes popping off of there. And that's not only a testament to the strength of the Bruxer, but to the cement, the Reliax Looting Plus cement from 3MSB that we've used. So the whole mesial half of the crown has not even moved yet. And so we've got to cut through that again because you just can't grab onto that with uh, rheostats and pull that off. So this is one of the difficulties in these all ceramic crowns as opposed to a PFM is 
you can't bend the framework, bend the substructure, and then remove the whole thing. Uh, when you go to bend it, it breaks, and you have to take it off in pieces. So typically we're taking off three, maybe four different pieces of crown, usually four, I would say. So we took off the first one. Now I'm going to crack uh, through the mesial marginal ridge and separate the um, lingual and buccal portions. And there goes the mesial buccal portion of the crown coming off. And actually, usually you would have to cut this in half one more time. I get lucky here and just push on it, and the vibration from the handpiece has broken the cement bond, so I can actually pull this mesial lingual piece off. Usually you would have to cut that um, in half again, and then maybe even prep off the last little eighth of crown from the tooth. So again, the key point to remember here is you need to have one of those fine grit Zircut burrs available from Axis Dental. They're also available in the Bruxer Adjustment and Polishing Kit, so you do not need a separate burr. It's those same burrs that are in the Adjustment and Polishing Kit that cut through uh, zirconia. And as long as you do it with steady pressure off and on, lots of water spray, you'll be fine. You won't see any sparking and you'll be able to see the differentiation between the crown and the tooth and get the Bruxer crown off safely. So in this introduction to Bruxer restorations, I've mentioned my two favorite indications. The first one is when we have limited inner occlusal space on a preparation where we should use cast gold or a metal occlusal, but the patient doesn't like the look of cast gold or metal, metal occlusal. This is a perfect place to put a Bruxer restoration in place. The second place is anytime I see a broken PFM or any kind of broken porcelain. When I see a patient who's got a strong enough bite to do that kind of damage, I want to go with a virtually unbreakable material like Bruxer. Uh, Bruxer can also be used for inlays and onlays, so it really can be a cast gold replacement if you want it to be, if your patients don't like cast gold. I happen to like cast gold inlays and onlays better than composite or porcelain, so when patients won't accept those, that's when I move to Bruxer Restorations. On behalf of all of us here at the laboratory, thanks for your time and your continued commitment to quality dentistry.